We are in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 144, please. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, if you'd grab a Bible and see it in front of you and crack it right to the middle, you'd find the Psalms, and we are in the 144th chapter. Uh, let me explain how I came to this text. Some of you, I don't know if it's many, but some, are... Uh, following along in a Bible reading plan. Uh, and recently we read Psalm 144, a couple weeks ago, I think, maybe. And the line in verse 10, is that right? It's not in verse 10, verse 9, sorry. I will sing a new song to you. That uh, struck me, and it made me think of this sermon, and that was the idea I wanted for this, because I was singing a new song, thought, I'll use this text. And then this morning, as I was preparing my heart for worship and reading through the psalm again, I thought, huh, I wonder where else this is in the Bible. And so I did a quick search in my Bible searchy program. And there's six times in the psalms where this is said, sing a new song, twice in Revelation, and one Isaiah 42, which you also just read in our Bible reading program a couple days ago. And honestly, if I would have looked at that earlier, there would have been a better psalm to use than this one. Uh, but because the context of this psalm is warfare, it's fighting, it's, it's, it's striking in that. We'll get it in a minute. But uh, the idea here is not singing a new song as in a song that he's never sung before, but singing the songs that we've always sung before, but like they're new, with zeal, with heart, meaning it. And ironically, he is doing that, not ironically, just strangely, he's doing that uh, out of warfare. And so that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to be looking at in the following three weeks after this, too, with the shooting in Texas, or or, was it Florida or Texas? Texas. Um, The idea, what does the Bible say about our duty to protect? So we're going to do that in the next three weeks, so this will be a good kickoff for it. But anyways, I came to this text just by doing our Bible reading program. So I want to encourage you to do that if, if, you, if you'd like to. So this sermon is going to be our annual kind of state of Pine Grove. We'll touch a bit on the wider evangelical church, but if you're new here, this will be a good opportunity for you to hear about our church. Um, and then in the coming weeks, we'll also have a membership class coming up if you'd like to take part in that. And so we're going to do Psalm 144. I'm going to read the entire psalm here. I'll say a bit about it after I pray the entire psalm, and then we're just going to focus a lot on verse 9 and and applying it to parts of our church. So let me read uh, this psalm. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, What is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a shadow, or like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners." whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood, I will sing to you a new song. 
O God, upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown and our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Let's pray. Your word, O Lord, is the clearest and brightest of lights so that our steps are sure. May you grant us grace to not neglect your scriptures to our own harm. Revive us, O Lord, according to your word, and incline our hearts to perform all your statutes forever, even to the end of our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The Psalm 144 is written by King David, who was a warrior and a songwriter. That's something we don't see as compatible today. If a guy is a man and he's a fighter, he can't be a singer. And here in David, you have both. Uh, He sings here about victory in warfare and worship of God. So again, to consider that shooting in Texas, the, the security guy in the church who shot the bad guy and killed him, his name was Jack Wilson. And so if you would put Jack Wilson in here instead of King David, this would be a song he might sing after God granted him victory over the people, uh, God's people. And th- so that would be the context of this song. There's an enemy. God strengthened one of his people to dispatch the enemy. And then he sings a song of praise after the demise of his enemy. And notice what he sings. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Um, this isn't a metaphor. And this isn't just spiritual warfare here. This is blood and guts, physical battle. Uh, Twice in this psalm, David sings about their enemies, these foreigners, who uh, extend a right hand, but it's a right hand of falsehood. You see that in verse 8 and then in verse 11. The right hand is the right hand of friendship, of fellowship, of agreement, of peace. And so the enemies were extending their right hand, offering peace, but lying about it. They were speaking out of both sides of their mouths. They saw, sent an envoy, an embassy of peace, all the while planning war and destruction of God's people. And God protected his people from them by raising up warriors like David. And God strengthened them to destroy the enemies. And then the psalm ends after that with a prayer asking for God's blessing here materially for his people. May our sons be like plants full going strong oaks. May our daughters be beautiful like the corner pillars, the structure of a beautiful palace. May our granaries be full. May all of our cattle be 
bearing young without. May there be no distress in the streets. So peace has been won by men fighting and destroying the enemy and so that God's people can be blessed. That's what's going on in this psalm. And right in the middle of it, in verse 9, I will sing to you a new song. I will sing to you a new song. So, after God has trained his hands for war, his fingers for battle, after God has shown him steadfast love and his fortress, his stronghold, his deliverer, after God has delivered them, after he's thinking of future blessings of God, he's going to sing a new song. A new song. What does that mean? Well, as I've said before, this isn't a brand new song that's never been sung before. This is, the idea here is considering who God is, considering God's saving work, and singing again as if it's for the first time. It's a renewal. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a reformation of heart and soul that's expressed with singing with zeal. It's singing from the bones. It's joy. It's, it's you engaging God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the idea here. Singing a new song. So what David's doing in this song is writing a song, a psalm, a song that rehearses the power and goodness of God in training our hands for war and being our shield and strong tower and giving us victories so that we may take up our song anew. That's what's going on here. That's good for the new year, isn't it? Here we are, start of a new year, start of new commitments. 2019 could be hard. You may be weak. Your heart isn't in it. You're weary. What what then? We have to rehearse to ourselves who God is, what God has done, the promises of God, and learn to sing anew. So David is teaching us how to do this. This could be rather applicable to you immediately, right? Where's your heart? Are you stale in your affection for God? Is there zeal in your life for your Father in heaven? Are there many other competing loves that have your attention other than the love of God? How are you going to learn to sing your song anew? How are you going to sing a new song to the Lord? You faltered. Your heart isn't in it. You come to church on Sundays just because that's what you do. You worship God with your lips, but your heart's far from Him. Maybe you're angry. Maybe life hasn't been fair. Maybe others have mistreated you. And you don't have it in you to sing the praises of your God. Well, I think David has something to say to us. Same can be true of our church as a corporate body, as a family. 2019 was a a big year. Right before it, we transitioned to this building. A lot of work went into it. Somebody calculated 10,000 volunteers hours to get us into this building. This past fall, we 
reinvigorated a bunch of our ministries. We got Pine Grove Wednesdays. We launched neighborhood small groups. Women's ministries started anew. A lot of work has been done in this last year. Maybe you're tired. Maybe there's too much going on. How are we going to learn to sing a new song? So what I want to do is just take some of these major areas of our church, talk about them, and then encourage us to sing a new song in them. Let me start with, with a, a smaller example. I, I've already mentioned it, our Bible reading program. One of our concerns is your elders is how often and how many of you are regularly reading your Bibles. So what I'm talking here about is you as an individual opening up the Bible and having some consistent time with the Lord and reading the Bible as an individual, maybe as a couple or maybe as a family with your children. Uh, And so we wanted to encourage you in that. And so we started this Bible reading program. We also had our first session of neighborhood small groups focused on Bible reading and engaging Scripture. But like all good endeavors, you start out with a big, uh, with, with excitement and a, and a plan to do it well, and for a few days or weeks or maybe months, if you're really self-disciplined, you did it, and then you don't. A couple days go by, a couple weeks, a couple months, and you just haven't been reading the Bible consistently or at all. And so you get down on yourself, you're disappointed, and you just forget about it. Same thing could be with neighborhood small groups. Large percentage of you are in these groups. You're humming along. You're, you're in it. And now we're going to launch it again after the first year, and maybe you're evaluating. That was a lot of time, a lot of commitment. Or maybe the first go-around, you decided not to do it too much. Whatever, I got other things to do. Maybe you know you should do it. Maybe you want to do it, but you're just not doing it. So what I want to encourage you in this sing a new song is, think about this. These songs David sung before. And now he's got to learn to sing them again. And in another month or six months or a year, he's going to have to do that again. One of the principles behind this is the only failure is not to do it again. Do you know what I mean? Let's say you've started the Bible reading program and it's been months since you've done it. You haven't failed yet. You've only failed if this week you don't try again. You don't try to sing the new song again. Or neighborhood small groups. Just, just jump in again. And if you get lax, then try again. That's what's going on here. David is refer- rehearsing to himself who God is, what God has done, in order to enliven his own being so that he might sing the same song anew. He's just picking himself up and doing it again by God's grace. And so I want you to encourage you to do that towards your Bible reading or towards your investment in neighborhood small group if it can work for you. Now, again, neighborhood small groups, let me just briefly. It's not a requirement. It's not something you have to do here. There are for some of you where this is just not going to work. You'd like to, but it's just not working. And and we don't want to be a church where that is put on top of all of the other responsibilities as a Christian and saying, if you don't do this, you're not a good Christian. We really do want neighborhood small groups to be something that you get to do, that you want to do, not that you have to. 
We could also think about music here at Pine Grove. <clears throat> Since we're dealing here with a psalm, a song, I'd like to touch on music at Pine Grove. Nearly two years ago, we had a music pastor, Pastor Nate, who did lead our music program. And about two years ago, right at this time, he was still here another few months after this, but about two years ago, right now, he, uh, we, we moved him out of the music program so that we could start leading it while he was still here and covering our bases. So it's been two plus years since we've had a full-time leader over our music program. So we've been basically volunteer-led. The plan was back then to immediately work towards the hiring of a new worship pastor. We had a job description developed. We had had a, uh, talked about it with the congregation. The elders had approved it. And we were in the elder meetings this time two years ago starting to define our process for how we we're going to go, go about identifying and bringing on a worship pastor. And then we heard that the Catholic Church was selling this building. And so we shifted gears, and we decided to put the worship pastor on hold in order to purchase this building, renovate it, and move in here. So we've made the transition. Here we are. And we have an elder meeting at Tuesday, and we're going to start the play button again on this process after pressing the pause button on it. Uh, not committing to you that we're going to hire a worship pastor. We're going to take a look again at the job description we had developed two years ago. I'm going to present to the elders that again, along with a, a, a potential process for hiring him, and we're going to spend some time praying and looking at that. So be praying for that. But one of the things I want us to consider is, over the past two years, we have taken on this large responsibility for singing, mainly volunteer, by volunteers. I plan and order the worship song, so I'm in charge of our music diet, if you will. So if you don't like the songs you're singing, it's my fault. If you do like the songs you're singing, it's on me too. And um, so I do that. Keith and Bev have largely been responsible for leading rehearsals and leading the singing up here on Sunday morning. Lisa has done almost all of the logistics behind the scenes. She makes it run. Without Lisa, we're no good. And then there's been many others. Sam has led sometimes. We have all of our musicians, all of our singers. Some new people have come on board. There's like a whole army of people making this happen. All glory to God. Uh, and I always evaluate how we're doing up here on Sunday morning by how well you're singing. That's, and, and by how well, I mean volume. Not like pitch or tempo or <clears throat> any of that. Uh, volume. And, and I do that because that's how the Bible evaluates it. If you look at singing in the Bible, it's almost always in relation to volume. Because I think volume rela- uh, shows heart. Right? It shows heart. So I think we're doing okay. For two years, volunteer-led, I think we've, we've done well. Of course, there's plenty of room to go, grow. Of course, our song selection is pretty small, and so we've sung these songs a lot. I've had some of you remark, we're singing that again? Yep. <laughs> I just want to encourage you, keep singing these songs if they're new. Look at the lyrics we've sung already. Look at what we got to rehearse to ourselves and to each other about the greatness of God. So if you're getting stale on it, I got to just urge you, just get over it. Sing. Sing. 
encourage those who have taken on so much weight in this area. We're hoping that we're getting help in hiring a worship pastor, God willing, pray for that. But please encourage those who have taken on so much weight for this and thank them. Thank God for them. So thank you guys for all the weight you've taken on. So sing a new song in this area. Another uh, reality that I'd like to take note of, especially in relation to the psalm and singing a new song, is this idea that we've talked about many times as male and female. If I can, this psalm is utterly... In our culture today, it's completely unacceptable. Just look at verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, or if you want to put it in just more common, praise God. For what? He trained my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Praise God that you made these fingers and hands skillful to end the lives of other human beings. That's what this psalm is singing. That's what a worship song is teaching God's people to sing. Praise you, Lord, that you have given men the skill to protect your people by ending the lives of those who would harm them. A little bit later in verse 6, God, loose your arrows and rout them. This is what God's people are being taught to sing. This is what men are being taught to do and to sing the praises of God for. David isn't a caveman. David is a very intelligent, thoughtful, crazy, skillful musician. He's cultured. He's a, he's a guy's guy. He could be out shepherding a flock and writing a song. This is a guy. This is the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. He's not a caveman. You, you could just go, well, this is 4,000 years ago. We've become much more advanced than that. There's no guy in our church more advanced than David. And so, some of you, some of us, we've hit on this issue a lot. Biblical, male, and female. And it, 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 it has been done poorly in some regards on my part. And, and some part it's, I think, been done well. Um, and you know that Scripture addresses this frequently, and in our day, this is the issue. You've heard me say this before. This is the issue in every area of our lives, this issue of who we are, who God has made us to be as male and as female. This teaching, for some of you, has been like a new song. You wished you had this 40 years ago so that your marriage or your parenting could have been different. And it has been a breath of fresh air to you. You've said that to me. And some of you, this has been like listening to a tone-deaf person in the shower screeching out a song. Please don't ever let me hear that again. And then in between. 
Now, we as a church do have plans to continue challenging and teaching in this area. Women's ministry, as you've seen in the past year, has put together events and studies geared specifically towards women and what it looks like to be a godly woman. They've done a great job, and more is coming. Another study is starting. Uh, Notes are in the back. Uh, You heard in Sean's prayer that we're starting up a men's retreat. Not to teach men to retreat, but to teach men to be men. We're bringing in a speaker. We're bringing in a a male worship leader. We're going to do all sorts of manly things like shooting and fishing and smoking meat and all that stuff. I know women can do that too. Come on. Uh, That retreat is going to be May 15th to 17th. Write it down, mark it on your calendar, urging all the guys in our church to come. Along with this, just before we moved in this building, we, I was preaching out of 1 Corinthians. I preached up and through chapter 6. My plan is to pick up 1 Corinthians in February, again, starting with chapter 7. And if you're familiar at all with the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7 and chapter 11 are all about what it looks like to be a, a godly man and a godly woman. My plan is this time, when I preached Genesis this time last year, I preached it um, to exhort and to challenge and to rebuke. In this one, in 1 Corinthians, when I get to these chapters, my hope is just to preach them more with a teaching tone, without so much bite. It'll bite. It'll bite by itself. But I want to do it more gently in order to just set before you more succinctly the teaching on what it looks like to be a godly man and godly woman. And I urge you to let that be anew for you, to come with an open heart as a man or as a woman or as a young man or as a young woman, asking God to help you to take the next step in your manliness or in your womanliness, to be more godly in that area. And let me take a step back from Pine Grove and just tell you why this is so important. In the wider evangelical church, by evangelical, I mean kind of churches like ours. They might be a different denomination. They might be Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, something. But their church is like ours. That is, if you looked at their doctrinal statement and our doctrinal statement, they'd be basically the same. If you look at how we view ministry and worship and how we view ministry and worship, they'd be very similar. So churches like ours, wider evangelical churches. This past year has seen a riff in denominations and churches like ours over this issue. There is a fight a-brewing, if you've been paying attention to these kind of things at all. The issues have been surrounding how do we think biblically about the press of sexuality, mainly referred to the issue of gay straight. And within the evangelical church, all of us are saying gay sex is wrong, but there is a significant majority with the money and the positions of power saying, yes, gay sex is wrong, but you could still be a gay Christian. That is, you could still be Christian and identify yourself as gay so long as you're not engaging in the sex part of it. And there is a fight happening over this seminaries, churches, denominations are lining up and there's a fight and a a good fight that needs to happen there. So, gay Christian. That'd be like you saying, I'm an adultery Christian. 
I don't actually practice adultery, but it's just who I am. Or I'm a thieving Christian. I don't actually go and steal things, but it's something I have a desire for, and I'll probably have a desire for it the rest of my life, so I identify myself as a thieving Christian. To be gay and Christian is at odds. You, you can't be both. I'm not saying you couldn't struggle, but you better be fighting. And so this issue is fundamental. Another one will be continued the press for women to take on the role of pastor, preacher, elder. For instance, in the past year, Beth Moore, who is a beloved women's speaker, who in years past has put out fabulous material, but in the last couple of years, she's taken to preaching in local churches and preaching in local churches who are heretics, like at Lakewood in Texas. And she has defended and put forward other women preaching in the church. Now, in light of the wider stuff going in our culture, a woman preaching every once in a while at church, you might think, big deal. I mean, we're dealing with abortion. We're dealing with a fight in our culture with the president. I mean, there are big fish to fry. That ain't one of them. The church should just be quiet, leave her alone. But the issue isn't Beth Moore, and the issue isn't a woman preaching the pulpit. The issue is the authority of Scripture. That's where this is really about. Scripture clearly forbids this. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. It couldn't be any more clear in the Bible. Not only is it clear in the Bible, we have 2,000 years of church history where this has complete agreement on until about the 1950s. Every church everywhere knew that the Bible taught men should be preachers and pastors and elders and women are not called to that. It's not permitted until our feminist culture. So again, the issue isn't Beth Moore. The issue isn't that. The issue is what does God say in his word? And if we fudge on any part of it, We're undermining the whole of it because it's all based on the authority of God in his word. That's why this issue is so big. That's why this issue is so huge. If we tap the brakes at that one spot and think that that wobble won't affect every other area, we're lying to ourselves. And we do not want to lie to ourselves here. And so that's why we're going to continue talking on it. I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but anyone who has any eyes in your head can see that Christians are headed for a pretty rough road in the coming years, and it's going to be rough because of this issue. You and I are going to have to face challenges and loss if we're going to stand firm on the biblical truth related to who God has made male and female to be. We're going to see whether or not we really are ashamed of Jesus' words or not. We're going to see whether we do stand firm as we're exhorted to at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Stand firm, act like men, be strong based on this issue or not. And so we as elders, I myself, want to teach and urge and rebuke and correct and lead on this issue so that you can be prepared to face it. That's it. Now in saying all of this, We don't hate gays. 
We don't hate transvestites. We call all men and women to repentance over all sins, which is the most loving thing you can do. If we had somebody who was a homosexual come to our church, we wouldn't kick him or her out. We wouldn't draw attention. I hope one of you would invite them over for lunch. And I hope that they would hear the truth in our church. So that like you, if you were an alcoholic or an adulterer or a liar, would be called out of your sin and into righteousness. Nor do we hate women or men for that matter. We love who God has made men and women to be. But we absolutely will not compromise on it. Because we don't have the authority to. It is God's word. It is the word of God. And in our doctrinal statement of our church, it says that the word of God is the authority for all of life. And so you and I have to decide whether that's true or whether it isn't. Is that true in all of life that God's word is the authority or isn't it? That's what we're looking at. All right, that's the big thing. Let me just close with a little. In the past year, especially in moving into this church, we have had more and more and more of you taking on more and more and more responsibility. We've already talked about music, but we could talk about Pine Grove Wednesdays with you group in Awana and the meals. We could talk about all of you taking on so much weight around here, fixing this building, cleaning this building, snow, grass, all of it. It's incredible. And we don't even have a way to quantify how many meals you've made, how many visits, how, many, how much help you've given, projects. It has been incredible. How well you have served here in the past year is really something. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't even forget missions, the work they're doing, this perspective thing. The work behind it is incredible. I've mentioned women's already and and men's. Thank you. Thank you. It's really something. But in light of all that, I just, there's a couple considerations. Those of you who have taken this responsibility and are pulling quite a bit of weight, you, you should know how grateful we are for you. But there's a couple things. One, Sometimes, when you do a lot of work, you can be tempted to think of yourself a little better, more highly than others who aren't doing it. And you might even get upset at people who aren't doing as much as you are. You might even get weary. You're tired. You've done a lot. But you know that you need to, and so you just keep doing it. You're gutting it out. And I just want to encourage you, just, just take care of that. You know, just check your attitude. There, there might be a need for you to take a break. That's fine. Our righteousness is in Christ alone and not what we do here. Our God, we have the full acceptance and affirmation of our God in heaven based on his son, not based on how many toilets you've cleaned in 2019 or hallways you've run the machine over or shovelfuls of snow you've done. Jesus is our righteousness. And so just, just take care of yourself here. And if you need some help, if you need it to help evaluate, please talk to me or Pastor Jeff or Shepherding Elder or somebody else. It's just, I, I, I just don't want you to, to fry. 
And I, and I don't want there to become this us and, and them mentality of we serve and they don't. Okay? If you remember back in David's time, there was a time where David's place was raided and all of the women and luggage were taken. And David and some warriors went after him, but some of the warriors were too tired to do anything about it, so they stayed behind and protected the baggage. And David and the soldiers were able to rescue all the wives and all of the children and all of the stuff. And then when they came back, the warriors who went out to fight were angry with the warriors who stayed there and said, we're not sharing any of the spoils with them. And David said, no way. The share will be equally divided about those who went and those who stayed behind. I just want us to be careful there. Okay, so be careful there. And, and then just a, 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 a small word of encouragement to those of you who are part of our church family, but for whatever reason, haven't yet taken more opportunity to help around here. And by helping around here, I'm mainly referring to helping here at our Stephen Street location. I don't know what you do as far as inviting people over for hospitality all of the unquantifiable ways of ministry, that is ministry. And if you're doing a lot of that, just keep doing that. But we've, we've had a lot of new people come, many join. I just want to encourage you, in 2020, consider you know, pulling some more weight. Still gonna... Nobody has the spiritual gift of taking out the trash, right? but it's still going to need to be taken out. And so I would encourage you, if uh, you wonder what you can do around here, um, ask. There'll be a job for you. There'll be somebody who could take a break or do it less often. And so if, if you're interested in that, would you just send an email or a text, give the phone call office, talk to one of the elders or pastors or deacons. Uh, we'd be glad to help you figure out. If that's making you squirm, I love you. That's all right. Squirm a bit. I want to end the sermon by asking you to turn to Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. Revelation's the last book in the Bible. In chapter 5, verse 9, you see the same thing of singing this new song. My hope with this sermon was to draw your attention to some important areas that I see going on in the life of our church and to urge you by God's grace to see them anew, to engage them in a way that allows you to sing anew to God. We see that in 5.9. It says, and they sang a new song. Now, what they sang isn't new at all. Look, what did they sing? Worthy are you to take the scroll, open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language of people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. That, that ain't new. We sang, we sang it this morning. They sang it anew. They sang it anew. They sang it right, they will sing it anew, right before their creator, their redeemer in heaven, and a new heavens and a new earth, and they sang it. And what did they sing? They sang the gospel. And that is the center of who we are at Pine Grove. That is the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what they sang. So no matter what you do around here, no matter what you're thinking about ministry around here, this is what motivates us to sing anew.
that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shed his blood and ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. He's made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth with him forever. If you want to learn more about that, you should take the perspectives class. Um, But I just want you to close with thinking about that. Look at what our God has done for us.